It's a new year and a new start, but there's no denying the fact that the past 12 months have really put us through the absolute ringer. From natural disasters to a global pandemic and to a whole bunch of uncertainty about our financial futures, most of us are content right now just to be getting by. But what about happiness? Is anybody actually happy? And if so, how do we get some of that too? And once you reach happiness, what happens next? In this podcast, we're going to speak to celebrities, experts and real people about all things happy. We're going to learn their secrets and then we're going to pass them on to you. So if you're looking to start your own happiness journey, we hope you'll listen along. I'm Kate DeBrito and this is How To Be Happy. Trying not to get caught up in your massive to-do list and the laundry and the work that you've got to do and the emails that you've got to send and trying not to get too caught up in the past. So just enjoying the present moment and savouring in it and relishing in it. I think that's a really important thing. So it's just about trying to slow down a, a bit and take stock of what, what we're noticing in our lives and what we're enjoying. The theme of our very first episode today is about overcoming adversity. We're all inevitably going to face struggle at some point in our lives, and the way we deal with that period of our lives can affect our happiness in the future. Our first guest today is author, athlete, and motivational speaker, Taria Pitt, and she'll be joining us via Zoom to talk about how she used adversity to motivate herself and also about her new book, appropriately called happy and other ridiculous aspirations. First, though, I wanted to have a chat with our producer, Nina Young, about this subject. Hey, Nina. Hello, Kate. How are you going? I'm really good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Feeling happy. Good. That's a good start (laughs) for this podcast. Feeling, uh, I'm, I'm glad we're in the new year and I'm ready to sort of turn over a new leaf, so I'm really happy to be involved in this podcast. Great. Exciting times. I've got a bit of a question for you on the topic of adversity. Do you think when it comes to overcoming adversity that we're all starting on an even level? Do we all have an equal sort of chance of overcoming adversity? I actually don't. I think that some people will struggle more to overcome adversity and there's a lot of reasons for that. There's um, perhaps they don't have the tools um, and the strategies to deal with really difficult situations. And unfortunately, as we sort of have already mentioned, when that happens, it can mean that people struggle to overcome that period and then it can become an entrenched kind of situation. Um, What do you think? I agree. I don't think that we are all on an even playing field. It's a little bit like when they're talking about the pandemic and they say COVID doesn't discriminate and you kind of look at it and you go, it does a little bit Mm. because there are certain people that are less likely to survive Mm. or more likely to get sick because they can't skip work because they can't afford to stay home. So it's a little bit like that. Like if you um, happened to be born to a couple of drug addicts and you're neglected as a child, you're not going to have those coping mechanisms that other people have. But you know what? The funny thing is, although I agree with you, I also think that at the core of of what I believe is that I think all humans do have that capacity. And I think 
as we're going to talk about in this podcast, there's a lot of tools and and planks that can help you create a good life. Yeah. And I think learning those, you're right, people might not start off on the right level because they might not know those. They may not have been taught those. Some people are innately more optimistic and that can help set them on a path easier. But I think that there are a lot of things that people can learn how to do. I think ultimately everyone does have the capacity to overcome adversity. I agree. And I found this really interesting study called, um, it's the Australian Temperament Project, which is a longitudinal study that was conducted over 30 years. And it looked at how um, temperament affects a child's experience in the world. So basically, the theory is that you're born with a certain temperament and the temperament will dictate how you um, adapt to situations, basically. So for some babies, um, they adapt more easily to change and social situations. For other babies, it's going to be more difficult it's for the, them. It's the it's the sort of upset baby theory that yeah. you, you, you're a temperamental baby, you're, you're a temperamental you're fussy, baby, and your what, parents treat you differently to the way they might treat an right. easy baby. But what the study is suggesting is that that temperament is permanent. So that mm. is your temperament. So you mm. just happen to be born having more trouble adjusting to something Mm. than someone else. And that is going to be your sort of base level for the rest of your life. But they have found that it is something that you can change. So if parents um, start with the right tools in the child's youth and and start sort of getting them help and giving them the tools to sort of navigate their situations. Parents, isn't it? (laughs) Don't stuff it up. (laughs) But in a way, so, you know, it's, it's interesting, we were talking about personal responsibility earlier. Um, it's interesting to sort of think, yes, you. Uh, there are people that are sort of born with a little bit more struggle than other people. Mm. So where does personal responsibility come into that? It's a bit interesting. Well, I reckon personal responsibility is... Um, the absolute core of everything and it's a really misunderstood term because people think personal responsibility equals blame oh you're in this problem oh you're down in the gutter your problem your fault and it's nothing to do with that there's a lot of reasons as we've just discussed why people go through struggles and why they will always struggle potentially but I think that personal responsibility for me is so uplifting and so motivating because it says you have the power within you to make changes that can help you live a better life. Mm. Ultimately, for me, that is so um, grounding and so... um, you know, motivating. It, it, it really it really brings me comfort to know that ultimately sometimes when I'm having a really bad time, I just, you know, you want something to reach down and, and rescue you. The hard part for me is going, okay, you know, you've got to pull yourself together yeah you know and, yeah. and that doesn't mean that people just can lift themselves up you need help you need you need all, all sorts of things interventions of, of all manner but I guess knowing that ultimately ugh, you're gonna have to do this mm. mate yeah for me is really empowering um, I, I, I wish more people knew how much power and um, you know how much power they have over their own lives because I think actually a lot of people think that they don't. You do need to have a belief at some stage that you can overcome things or that you have some agency in your life and then you do need to put it into practice and I think Turia Pitt is a really great example of that. Our very first guest in this first episode of our podcast is the amazing Turia Pitt. 
Taria wears many hats. In her past, she's worked both as a minor and as a model. But in 2011, her life was changed forever when she was competing in an ultra marathon through Western Australia's Kimberley region. And she was caught in a horrifying grass fire. She sustained burns to 65% of her body. And at the time, doctors did not think she would live. Since then, in just nine short years, incredibly, Taria has recovered from her terrible injuries, but she's become a motivational speaker. She's still an athlete. She's competed an Ironman in the US and she's a published author. She's also done the Kokoda track. No biggie. Her new book, Happy and Other Ridiculous Aspirations, is out now. Welcome, Taria. Hello, how are you? I'm good. Lovely to meet you. Nice to meet you too. So tell me, I feel like it's a presumption for me to say, but it it does feel sort of in the public persona that your life is kind of in two parts, before the fire and and after the fire. If we talk just specifically about happiness, is is the concept of happiness different to you now than it was before? before the fire? I think it is. Like, you know, the fire was almost 10 years ago now. And I think if I look at the younger version of me, like I I think most people would say that they're the version of themselves 10 years ago would be remarkably different to the version of themselves today. But I think that to read from 10 years ago, it's not like I was unhappy because I was a happy person, but I was very much focused on what I didn't have in my life. I was focused on what wasn't going good for me. And I think out of everything what I've learned is to be grateful for my life as it is now, which sounds kind of counterintuitive, especially if you're an ambitious or a driven person. But I think by focusing on what we're grateful for in our lives, we're focusing on the positives, and I think that helps us to build a more positive mindset. I don't know if that answers the question. No, it it does, and I think you're right. It is a bit counterintuitive, isn't it? Because people sort of say, "Well, if I'm grateful for what I have, and if at that time you know you don't have a job, or you know you you you're feeling unlucky in love, it it's like it sort of it, it makes you sort of feel like you're settling, but it, it it's not that. And you talk about that in the book, don't you? You talk about um, GSA. You you call it uh, gr- gratitude, savoring, and anticipation. So talk talk a little bit about that. Obviously, gratitude's a, a much used term when it comes to happiness. People talk about how important it is, but you also say it's really important to savour the moment and also anticipate good things. Yeah, and I mean, savouring was something that I came across during my research for this book, and I hadn't really thought about it much before, but savouring is about, I guess, being mindful in the moment that you're in and not trying not to get caught up in your massive to-do list and the laundry and the work that you've got to do and the emails that you've got to send and trying not to get too caught up in the past. So just enjoying the present moment and savouring in it and relishing in it. I think that's a really important thing for, for most of us to do. And how you can savour is just what, with whatever you're doing, try and just pick out one or two things about that experience which you are particularly enjoying. So like if I'm having a cup of tea, I could say this is a really nice cup of tea. Um, it's a really good temperature for me to drink. It sounds sounds a little bit weary, but stay with me. It's a really <laughs> nice temperature for me to drink. And I like the little bit of honey that I added into it because it tastes nice and sweet. So it's just about trying to slow down a, 
a bit and take stock of what what we're noticing in our lives and what we're enjoying and what we're savouring. How does it work in in reverse? I mean, obviously there's bad experiences. There's times where, you know, it's a rainy day. You've got something, you know, bad has happened. You've got a flat tyre. And I mean, you obviously can speak from experience of, you know, many times being in a lot of pain. How do you or how do you think people should, you know, try to sort of have that, you know, ability to stay in the moment when the moment is not very pleasant at all? Yeah, I guess like if the moment isn't pleasant, I would probably recommend that you don't try and savour and relish and extenuate that moment. But I also think like if you're having a bad day, whether that's a flat tyre or, um, you know, going through this coronavirus pandemic that a lot of us are facing right now, if you're having a bad day, there's a real power in just accepting it and acknowledging it and saying it's actually a really crap day. Mm-hmm. This happened, that happened, I'm over it, that's fine, tomorrow will probably be better. And I think it's really amazing what our minds and what we can do when we just drop this kind of bullshit facade that everything's okay and everything's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. So I think just trying to tap into if, if something's not enjoyable, if we're not enjoying our day, there's nothing wrong with just owning it and saying it's crap. That's fine. Well, I think that's what I liked about your book too is that you don't pretend to be a saint and, and, and it's probably a bit of a misnomer about happiness, isn't it, that if you're happy that you're kind of, you know, serene and, you know, never bothered and, and in constantly in a state of sort of, you know, beautiful kindness. But you talk about being angry, having the shits with people, you know, being annoyed, being upset and and that that doesn't that doesn't stop you from being happy owning those it's owning those feelings and those emotions is is probably more of a pathway to happiness yeah and i think that's one of the things you know about happiness is that it's happiness involves you not being happy for a lot of the time and that again that sounds really counterintuitive but i think just as some days yeah, we feel happy, we feel motivated, we feel excited, we might be anticipating going out to dinner with our mates on the weekend or, you know, catching up with friends. Um, Sometimes we wake up tired, shitty, stressed, cranky, annoyed, irritated, and I think all of those emotions are all valid and we don't enjoy the emotions like being angry and irritated and annoyed because they don't they don't feel good, they don't feel comfortable for us. But I think the more we just allow ourselves to feel those feelings and just sit in them for a little bit, for me personally, I found the faster they dissipate. Mm. Can you tell me, do you think that anyone can be happy? And and just let me sort of set that up for a second because I, I look at you, you're obviously an extraordinary woman. You know, I, I, I only realised the other day that it was only – less than 10 years ago, the, the fire. It, it seems, again, that you've been a, a public figure for so long. Um, but then to think about what you've achieved in nine years blew my mind. Like, what, you've written three books, you've you've done a, um, the Ironman Challenge, you've recovered from, you know, extraordinary injuries, you've had two children, um, what, a Kokoda track? Uh, just throw that in there. I just, those sort of things are sort of life achievements, for, for most people, but yet you've crammed them into a, a nine years that were, you know, also some pretty traumatic periods in there. I guess what I'm sort of saying, you are an extraordinary person. Is that part of your ability to be happy? Do you think anyone, people who maybe don't have your extraordinary strength, have the same ability to be happy? Yeah, like I wouldn't say I'm any more special 
then the then the next person, I guess. I know for me personally, I really love setting goals for myself. That, that really excites me and I love setting really massive audacious goals. Um, that's me. I know my partner, Michael, he's not wired the same way. He doesn't feel this drive to to be achieving and to be completing all of these big things. Um, and I think for sure all of us can be happier, part of the reason why I wrote the book. Um, I think for us to find happiness, though, we have to be willing to put in that that work. Mm. And a lot of people don't like that idea of putting in the work because it sounds like work and it sounds hard and it sounds boring. But I guess that's the reality of it. Like if you want to be a better runner, You've got to be out there running most days. If you want to get better at public speaking, you better be out on stage practicing your craft, rehearsing, refining. If you're an interviewer like you, you know, you've got to listen to the interviews that you did, think about what you did right, what you didn't do as well, get some critical feedback and improve on that. So I think happiness is is kind of the same. Yeah, of course we can be happier if we want to be. Some people don't want to be happier. And if we want to be, we have to accept that 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 involves or that entails a little bit of work for us to do as well. It makes sense 100%. And it seems that overarching, you know, you, you seem to be saying that happiness is yours to have, but it is a personal responsibility. You don't talk a lot about external circumstances because I think we know that ultimately those things are not the key to happiness. You're talking about it's your internal framework that's going to set your happiness. And and maybe that's what you mean when you say that it's it's not always easy for people to accept that, is it? Because it does mean that ultimately it's in their hands and it's up to them. No magic bullet? Yeah, I guess like with anything, huh? like with any exercise regime or any eating program or any study that we do, there's no like quick fix, shortcut, magic solution. It's just it's just it's just work and it's just grinding away at stuff. And you know, the person that I am today, I've built on this over the past 10 years and I'll probably still be working on it and still be and still be refining it and still be honing it to a certain extent. And you, you talk, I mean, you talk about um, one of the things you discuss is, is kindness and you say your mum is a really kind person. Now, obviously, there's a great benefit um, of kindness to other people, but what's the benefit to, to you, the person who's being kind? How does, it, how does it help make you happy? Yeah, and I mean, I think it's probably one of those things that we've all heard before, right? Like do a random act of kindness for a stranger and, and it will make you happy. And I think intrinsically all of us are, are wired to be kind. Like if you're at the coffee shop and the person in front of you is 50 cents short for their coffee, you'd probably either offer to pay for their coffee or you'd give them the 50 cents, yeah? Or you're a tight ass. You wouldn't do that. <laughs> oh, you're asking me specifically. Oh, no, I would. I would. I would. <laughs> I'm not that much of a tight ass. If I had it, I'd give it. Yeah, most people would. But the thing is, sometimes we don't. And I think that's because we're so we're so busy. Mm. We're so focused on our own lives. We're so focused on our issues. That we're not really taking the time to notice what's going on around us and, and savor, savor those moments. Mm. So I think being kind is a really essential part of happiness because it forces us to slow down, to take stock, to savour these little moments. And I think the more you practice being kind for others, the more you're shifting your focus away from yourselves onto someone else, I really think the happier you'll become. It's a fine line though because, you know, you don't want to be that person who's always saying 
yes out of obligation. You want to be able to set boundaries for yourself and say no if you don't really want to do things. Yeah, so I guess that's about sort of it, that's a difference between being kind, being kind, genuinely kind, and perhaps doing what you perceive is a is a kind act, but you're not really doing it for the right motivation then, are you? You may be doing it because you feel like you have to or because people won't like you if you don't do it, and that's not the same. No, definitely not. And I always like to use the um, two days rule. So you know how when people ask you if you want to do something and your first thought is like, yeah. I don't want to do that. <laughs> yes. Say yes to different pages away. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, no, I said I'd go to this this week and I don't want to go to it. So I always ask myself, if this thing was on in two days' time, would I say yes or would I say no? And that helps me try and sift through the, the various obligations that we all get thrust upon us. Yeah. Well, I guess that sort of, you know, leads to the to the point that, um, you know, you're obviously very much yourself, you know, and I don't know whether that's something that would just developed or, as I said, has it been part of your journey um, since the fire, but you seem to be happy in your own skin. You seem to be a person who knows who you are and you've determined that that's the best way to live. It, it strikes me, and you speak about that, that that's also another key to, to happiness, to know your strengths, to know who you are and to live that not to try and live some other person's life. Yeah, that's that's such a good point. And I think it's part of our wiring to focus on what we're not good at, what we wish we could be, what we wish we could do, all of these things that might not necessarily suit suit our own personal strengths. And, again, it, it sounds kind of common sense, but, you know, to build on your happiness, one of the best places to start is just to write a list and write down all of the things that you're good at mm. and try and focus in on those and try and hone hone those things. Mm. I love too how you, you talked about purpose and, and, you know, that's a whole other sort of idea. But you, you sort of said, you know, you can really, it's a big subject, like what's your purpose in life and, you know, what, what should I, what am I supposed to be? But you sort of said, break it down, you know, break it down to like what, what's your, what, what makes you happy? Like what interests you? What are you sort of things that fire you up and follow those sort of paths? And I do think that it's probably a great message for, for young people, like when they're trying to think, what am I supposed to be or do with my life? Maybe it's just follow those little sparks. Yeah, I think so. I think it's more about like following an area of interest or an area that you're into and then seeing where that leads you. And I also think like with any job or with any career, or anything that you want in life, there's always going to be some kind of shit sandwich that you're going to have to eat. Like I'm sure with your job, there's probably aspects of it that you might not love as much as other aspects of it. I, I loved that. I loved it when you said that because it's so true. No job's going to be perfect yeah. all the time. I'm sure even Beyonce has to eat some kind of shit sandwiches that she doesn't necessarily yeah. froth on. Yeah. I think we all do. I think it's just about, well, how, you know, how many shit sandwiches are you willing to eat to get to where you want to be? I also lied you talked about little steps and it's actually something I was talking to my teenage daughter about this week after reading your book because I think it's so important teenagers, you know, like anyone, get overwhelmed and they feel, um, you know, life's just too tough at, at this time. And, and I think just breaking it down into those little steps in reading about the sort of things you, you've done, like, you know, I'll, I'll go to Woolworths and I'll buy milk. Um, 
I, I really love that idea. Do you think it's important that people have those sort of, I, I guess you're talking about pushing yourself a little bit, aren't you? That you can't necessarily break out of a bad place without maybe just giving yourself a little push sometimes. Yeah, but also, you know, when people say to me, well, how, how did you get to where you are today? Um, it's not like a gig, you know, gigantic cataclysmic event. Mm. It was walking two laps of the hallway. It was taking off my compression mask when the postman came over. It was going to Woolworths to buy a bottle of milk. It was getting my driver's licence again. Yeah. Like it was all of these small, infinitesimal, tiny, incremental baby steps that have led me to where I am today. And I think that's the true, that's true of anyone. Mm. On any journey that they're on, you probably didn't get into your job by magic. There was obviously a lot of work that went on behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I agree. And I think that if people see it in those tiny little steps, I read something and I think you, you quoted, um, uh, well, it's about it's a book about goals that I've also read. And he sometimes says you've got to break down your goals and maybe you just put on your shoes, which sounds silly because like, oh, you just put on your shoes. But he said like set up a, set up a, a, a target and a goal. And once you've got that habit of putting on your shoes every day, then perhaps you... Um, the next week you might actually go out for that walk. Yeah, it's so true. And I think I think that's really key because, again, I think a lot of people might want or might expect this quick fix or this quick bullet or this, this fast-acting strategy. And there are a lot of strategies I share in the book which will make you feel better instantly. Practicing gratitude is one of them every morning. I think about three things that I'm genuinely grateful for, whether that's my son's playing on the carpet or my cup of coffee or the kookaburra that's sitting on my balcony. By me focusing on what I'm grateful for puts me in the better mood, helps me to build and maintain more of a positive mindset, which helps me to be happier. So, yeah, there are quick little fixes that you can do to improve your happiness, but I think you've got to get into the habit of getting up every morning and doing that gratitude practice. Mm. It's not just something that you can do once and go, yep, that's done. Um, I'm here. I'm at Happiness Train Station. Wouldn't that be great? I've arrived. I'm here. Planet Happiness. Oh, I'm done. I know. Wouldn't that that be awesome? But no, it doesn't doesn't work like that. I I described it as being a wiggle line. You know, it it goes up, it goes down, it goes up and it goes down. Well, talking about exercise, it, 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 it strikes me. I mean, you've obviously always been a really active person. What what role do you think exercise plays in happiness? We know there's been studies that it can help people with, you know, depression, that it can be very effective with um, a lot of different um, mental health conditions. But in terms yeah. of happiness, what do you think it does? Uh, I think it's crucial, crucial for our happiness. And, you know, everyone would know just from personal experience, if they're feeling a bit crap, they go for a walk in the sun, they probably feel a little bit better. Mm. So I think we, we all know that exercise makes us feel better um, and feeling better is like the, the starting step or the, the foundation to getting more happiness in our lives. Mm. So I think exercise is really key, but I think as well not, not everyone likes the same exercise and so I think if you're not, if you haven't found an exercise that you particularly enjoy and that you're motivated to do, then I would say try something else. Keep trying other things until you find something that that's really your jam. Yeah. One of the things you talk about is the phrase that really pisses you off, which is what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. You must have heard that so many times. I mean, I think that drives everyone 
crazy. It's such an annoying phrase because it's it's always handed to you when you're in a tough place. Um, yeah. But I, I guess, you know, at, at the same time, you do then sort of talk about that post-traumatic growth. What, what do you think? Is there a fork in the road? Because, I mean, there's people who have been through, you know, terrible trauma who, who, who don't recover. Um, I mean, you and you must have either encountered them or you've read their stories or you, you know of them, you know, people who've, you know, well, I mean, there's many reasons, obviously, you know, maybe someone's lost a child or maybe they've been through a horrific accident. But what do you think is the fork in the road? What turned your trauma into growth rather than just never recovering? Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's as clearly defined as that. I don't think I ever got to this point where I, you know, where I chose this way. And I thought to myself, yes, I'm making it. I'm going to recover. I'm going to rehabilitate myself. My, my journey hasn't been like that at all. Some days I'd feel okay. I'd do my physio. I'd, I'd feel a little bit positive. And the next day I would rail against the injustice of it all. So I guess I, I don't want to give that illusion that, you know, I, I just decided one day that I was going to make a choice. And then from there, everything just developed and bloomed and went. Um, that, that wasn't it at all. It was more just every day waking up and thinking to myself, I've got to get through this day. Um, I know I'll feel better if I go for a walk, so I'll do that. And I know if I read a book, I might feel a bit better, so I'll do that. And if this the thought of getting through this whole day is too overwhelming, you know what, I'm just going to focus on getting through this hour. Mm. And that's all I'm going to think about. And when I'm through this hour, I can think about what, how I'll get through the next hour. Mm. So, again, it, it was breaking down that journey into these tiny little steps one day at a time and even sometimes one hour at mm. a time. You've, you've been, you know, very fortunate that you've got, amazing people around you your husband and your family sound terrific and you know you've obviously got some great great friends but there's some lonely people uh, you know in this world you know sometimes you even see them in your neighborhood and you can see that they probably don't have a lot of friends or they're old and they don't have a lot of family but that's an important part of happiness too right you talk about that about having social connections what do you think people can do who uh, who who don't have as many people around them to 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 fall back on? Yeah, I guess I would just I would just I would just you know recommend that they just have to start. It's like if if you're not fit at all, you've just got to start trying. Um, you know, you've got to put yourself out there. You have to join some groups or some clubs. You need to be open to people being in your life. You need to be accepting of different people. And, again, all of those things sound, it sounds like a lot of work, mm. you know, and you, you probably think, oh, I'm not even going to bother. It, sound, it sounds too hard. But I think really just narrowing your focus and thinking, okay, well, today if someone smiles at me, I'm going to ask them how their day is going. That's it. That's the only task I've got to do today. Yeah. So, again, just zooming in, narrowing down and focusing on what's the one small step that you could take today that's going to move you forward or, you know, help you to develop better social connections. Do you think you talked a little bit before about how you're a real goal setter but your husband isn't? Do you think you still yeah. need some form of goal setting? You obviously have, have set yourself a lot of different challenges but do you need something or otherwise are you just sort of sitting on the couch watching Grey's Anatomy, which is what I've done a lot of recently. But <laughs> like, do you does no, does everyone I, need some sort of goal? I mean, of course, it might not be a marathon, but do, do we need little goals? Is that part of the happiness matrix? 
Look, I think we do need something. That's why there's a chapter in the book called Goals because I think all of us want to feel like we are making progress on an area of our life that is meaningful for us. And for me, that's doing a big physical goal like I'm in. For other people, it might be finishing the scarf that they're knitting for their nephew's birthday or it might be um, taking their dog for all 10 different walks in their neighbourhood. So whatever it is, I think we do need something in our life that is bigger than just us. Yeah, yeah, well... Are you are you into talking about things that are bigger than just us? You seem very practical in your in your approach. Uh, you, your book is is very you know no nonsense. Are you are you spiritual? No, don't know no, no woo woo. No, and I, that, now I'm thinking, yeah, that probably did sound a bit woo woo. Um, no, I'm no quite, it doesn't. Not, it doesn't at all. But I, I'm just I'm curious. Not. Well, I, I guess what I meant by that is in the when I was recovering, I, I didn't spend my time ruminating on what had happened to me. I set a goal mm. that was outside of what had happened to me. I set the goal of doing an Ironman. And instead of focusing on what had happened to me, I put all of my energy and focus and attention into doing this Ironman. Mm. So I was able to change my focus. So that's what I meant when I said I, I set a goal that was outside outside of myself and outside of my own problems um and no i'm not i'm not spiritual at all i don't believe in god i'm an engineer i'm quite pragmatic and and logical and so when people say to me things like everything happens for a reason i think no it doesn't sometimes shit just happens sometimes honestly sometimes shit happens and then it's up to you to 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 make something of it um, but I, I also want to temper that by saying that's just my perspective. Yeah, um, of course. My opinion, who the hell knows? Yeah, I certainly don't. Well, Are you spiritual? Oh, I think I probably am. I don't know when when you say sort of God, I don't know if I believe in God. Do I believe that there's a higher power? Yeah, I, I, it's not that structured for me. I sometimes think that yeah, I probably am more more spiritual, but I'm not sure I'm a believer in a in a God or a necessarily one presence. Um, do I think everything happens for a reason? No, I don't believe in that either, but I do think there are some um, I do think that there are some sort of waves of energy, if I could think of that, which is really woo-woo. So I am a bit spiritual. That sort of that, oh. and I and I guess that is about that sort of idea of whether you call it karma, like like you said, it, whether you want to break it down as simplistically as saying what you put out is kind of what you get back um, in the world. Not that oh, if you come down and you, you get a terrible disease, you caused it, you know. But yeah, I think I probably am a I bit mean, spiritual. I don't. I don't think that's where we're though. I think if you are bringing a positive energy to your workplace and making other people feel good about themselves, I think that's a really great thing. I think that transfer of energy is really important. I don't. I don't think that's where we're we so much. But you know, like the energy of people around you is so contagious. Yeah. I think if you're spending time with people who make you feel like shit and like crap, then they're probably not the best people to be spending your time with. And I think conversely, if you spend with time with people who make you feel good about being the person that you are and that accept you for who you are, mm. 
I think you're going to feel a lot better about yourself. But you probably need to have that yourself. Do you think that that's a part of it too? That like, you know, to be surrounded by people who accept you for what you are, you probably need to accept yourself as you are first, don't you? And that's what I guess that sort of idea that it starts internally. I think it's a bit of, I think it's a bit of both. Like I know when I was recovering on my really hard days, I would turn to Michael for my support. He was he was my rock. He was he was solid. He was consistent. And he was committed. Um, but I also know I was the one who had to do the operations. I was the one who had to do the dressing changes. I was the one who had to be gutsy enough to go to Woolworths and buy some milk. I was the one who had to put myself out there. So I think it's I think it's a bit of both. I think we can turn to those people around us for that support and for those feelings of love. And I also think we need to find it within ourselves just to just to buck up when things get tough and to step up as well. Yeah. So can I ask you about one of the things which I think is a real, and we've sort of touched on it, one of the things which I think is a real thief of happiness is is comparison, you know, comparing yourself yeah. to other, other people. And, and, and look, I mean, I hate to blame, you know, Instagram and Facebook and all of the social media, but it is a real vehicle for that, isn't it? I know, as I said, harking back to my teenage daughters, you just see it's such a tough world for them, just constantly scrolling through and and looking at people who are, you know, have got a little bit more or a little bit this or a little bit that. It's, it's a real tough world. How do you think, how have you dealt with that, like comparing yourself to others or, or not comparing yourself to others? Yeah, I think to start with, Instagram and Facebook, those types of things, when you're scrolling through, you can feel really good about your own life and then you look at someone else's page and suddenly you feel like you're not as good as them or you're not as hot as them or as smart as them or as clever as them and then that makes you feel a little bit crap. So I always think, especially on Instagram because that's such a visual mm. a visual platform, if looking at someone's feed makes you feel less than and I would say stop following that person because mm. it's not really doing your mental well-being any favours. Mm. But I also think comparing ourselves to others, it's very natural, it's very normal, but it's also a zero-sum game because there's always going to be someone who's hotter than us. There's always going to be someone who's faster than us, fitter than us, smarter than us, richer than us. So I think constantly comparing ourselves to others, it, it doesn't really make a whole, whole heap of sense. And also we have no idea what that person has invested their fine art resources in. Yeah. So, you know, if you're the world champion of chess, that might mean that you can't simultaneously be the world champion of surfing. So I think we've all got time and energy and focus and we can't invest them in multiple different things. So it doesn't really seem a good idea to be comparing ourselves to others. doesn't mean that we don't do it, though. Of course, we still do it because we're all human. But if you're finding yourself comparing yourself to someone else on social media, Stop following that person. And the second thing I would say is start practicing gratitude for your life as it is right now and really focus on the things in your life that you're grateful for and that's going to help shortcut those feelings of comparison. Well, I'm really grateful today for the cup of coffee that I had. It was really delicious today, but I'm also really grateful for the opportunity to speak to you. I do think you're an extraordinary woman. You must hear it all the time. I hope you feel the same way about yourself because it's just it's been such an honour to talk to you and I really enjoyed your book. I think the um, the great thing about you know, happy and other ridiculous aspirations is it is very, it's common sense as well as very personal. So um, congratulations and it was great to speak to you. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll be back next week with more insights and stories from Australia's happiest people. Until then, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and make sure you drop us a rating and a review. 